Well, today we kick off our A18 mission series in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open it up to Isaiah, and we'll get there in just a minute. Our story begins with the death of a king. And King Uzziah had been a great king for Israel. He led them into success and prosperity. And, uh, and when he died, something changed. But the Israelites began to stray from the Lord over time. They began to walk away from God. And so we see the first five chapters of Isaiah spent on Isaiah uh, speaking into the Israelites and how they have gone wrong, how they have gone astray. And then something happens. The tone changes in Isaiah chapter 6. And it changes from this Isaiah speaking, in a sense, to man's insufficiencies to all of a sudden he, being, he begins to address the character of God. And there's an awakening of God's vision within Isaiah. And he comes along and he walks into the temple and he's worshiping in the temple one day. And for the very first time, Isaiah's vision goes from being focused on the familiar surroundings around him to being focused on the presence of God. And he steps into a new place right there. And the temple was this, uh, it was an expression, it was an earthly symbol of God coming to us, right? And in this moment, Isaiah steps out of that and he begins to realize the earthly symbol merging with heaven's reality with the realms of heaven. And in this moment, he has a vision. Have you ever been at church and Pastor Mark is speaking and all of a sudden he's not speaking? God's revealing. He's speaking into God begins to, to prompt something in your soul. He begins to speak deep into your soul. That's what's happening right here to Isaiah. We start in verse one of chapter six. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, the angels back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy. No other threefold adjective is used in all of the Old Testament than in this moment. It's not just repetition. It's an emphasis. It's a building. It's a bursting from one word to the next, building all to this idea of God's holiness. Verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah tried to live a good life, but in this moment right here, he realizes how far his people are from true worship. And right here in this realization, he just blurts out what is his conclusion. Woe is me, God. And for the first time, Isaiah sees himself because he saw God. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
How many of us are thankful for the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ? Can I get an amen right there? He has saved us. He has forgiven us. We are forgiven people. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, we are, we are forgiven, right? We rejoice in that. We will always rejoice in it. But how many of us stop right here at verse 7 before we get to verse 8? How many of us close our Bibles after verse 7? We are forgiven. We are guilt-free. We are feeling good. Wow. Close the Bible, right? Leave the sermon at verse 7 right there. We walk out because we got it. We got what we need, and now we are on our way. But we are not just a forgiven people. We are a sent people. Discipleship, it doesn't end with forgiveness. It continues right into mission. It keeps on going. Could you imagine if, if the Gospel of John ended at chapter 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross? Jesus lived a great life, and he had communion with the Father and with others, but his greatest act of love came in the mission of the cross. You cannot separate Jesus' life from his mission. That's who he was. That's how he expressed himself. That was a part of him. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord and he said this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The question of whom shall I send? It's, it's not this, this picture of, of a desperate God just waiting, calling out for somebody, for anyone to come and to help him. No, it's a picture of this. It's a picture of a gracious God calling out to an unworthy servant. And God's question was Isaiah's opportunity, the hand upraised in worship should also be the hand upraised in offering, right? It's twofold. One, it's saying, God, I surrender to you. And two, it's saying, God, here I am. I'm ready. I'm ready to be sent. Use me where you'll have me. I'll never forget the weekend at National Community Church in the old days, back when we were in the grungy, musty bowels of Union Station, the theater. That was a little bit nasty down there. And we were there talking and sharing about mission. And we, sent, we gave people the opportunity to invest in mission. I remember after the fact, we got a note from somebody in the service, one of our attenders saying this. They said, when the plate came to me with tears strolling down, rolling down my cheeks, I didn't put any financial gift in that offering because I wanted to take the plate and I wanted to put it on the ground and step into it because I realized right there in that moment that, that my life is my offering. We are a set people raised up by God to be sent out by God. Pastor Dave said it this way. He said, we serve a God who draws us in so we can be sent out. And in order to be sent out, we've got to get out. The fact of the matter is this, that, that worship needs to be more like service, doesn't it? And service needs to be more like worship. We stop at our own intimacy with God, our own salvation, but God doesn't say whom shall I save? He says, whom shall I send? January 6th, 1998, it was a Tuesday morning, and my dad was sitting down with an old friend. They were sharing the scriptures over breakfast, and he slumped over, and he went to meet his maker in just a moment. And he had just gone through uh, a full battery of tests with his doctor. 
And he had been given a clean bill of health from his doctor. But just like that, just in a moment, he was gone. January 4th, a Sunday, two days prior, he sat down with his pastoral team at Calvary Church. And he sat down uh, prior to services to give a devotional. And he opened up the good book to Isaiah chapter 6. And he read this passage right here. And he opened it up to verse 1. And he said, in the year King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And he said this, he said this right after that. He said, he said, if I have to die for this church to experience the glory of the Lord, then I'm willing. He said, if I have to die for this Church, to experience God's glory, I'm willing, I'm ready. I, I don't know if he was speaking physically. I think he was probably speaking metaphorically. But the fact is this, that he was, he was in such a depth of relationship with God. He was so deep in prayer. He was so engaged in the spirit. He was so drawn into God's presence that he would do anything. He would go anywhere. He would surrender anything in his life that those around him would, would sense the glory of God. That church is, it's eight to 10,000 people today, strong. Thousands of people have come to a saving knowledge of the grace of God through his influence. Millions upon millions of dollars have been invested in missions because of him. Thousands have engaged in mission. Pastor Dave and myself wouldn't be here today talking about what we're talking if it weren't for a man who stood up, who laid his life down so that we might experience the glory of the Lord. It's verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? Can we just pause and take a moment in prayer? Lord, we thank you halfway through this message. We thank you, God, that you have drawn us into your presence. And I pray right now, God, that you would give us a vision, that you would continue to draw us in, give us the courage that we might be sent out in Jesus' I'm already messed up. Powerful. Just way to start this. That prayer was like halftime. You ready for the second half? All right. We're going to play some offense here. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And those famous words of the prophet Isaiah, would you say it with me? Here am I, send me. Can you just say it again? Come on, say it one more time. Here am I, send me. Oh, man, I just set you up. You know those are fighting words? You know that? I'm actually going to affirm what Pastor Joel said about what I said earlier, that oftentimes what happens is he draws us in in order to send us out and be a blessing. You know that? And in order to send us out, we've got to get out. And sometimes that can get real messy. Uh, it was a year ago that I bought a house. Thank you. And 
We moved into the neighborhood, and, and just that, that prayer was just in our hearts, just that Isaiah, here, here we are, Lord, just send us, just allow us to step into a neighborhood with just shared presence and, and listening and learning. And one of the first persons that we met was a guy named Sean, and, and real quickly, we just discovered he uh, just desperately needed somebody to listen to him. Been in and out of jail and couldn't hold a job down, and and, and in those moments where I kind of have spirit-to-spirit moments, oftentimes it I'll, I'll look at people in their eyes and I just say, I, I see you. I see you. And we're kind of having this moment, and uh, I tell him I'm a pastor, and he sort of jerks back, and he looks confused. And he says, what are you, like an Amish pastor? So no, I just, I I tell people that I'm a shepherd and all the hipsters are like, whoa, man, that's like so organic, bro. (laughs) I suppose we're here because we're, we're brought together for a shared vision. That vision is, is I think we want to see the world look a little differently than it currently is. I suspect Mother Teresa was correct when she diagnosed the world's ills in saying that I think the problem with this world is that we've forgotten that we belong to each other and that we are his children and we have the same heavenly father. And so I wonder, how do we stand against forgetting that? How do we create a a circle of compassion and imagine nobody standing outside of that circle? And and my hope and, and my prayer is that we just sort of, as a church, as people kind of inch our way to the margins, to the poor and the powerless, to the voiceless, to those whose dignity has been denied, occasionally get blessed enough to stand with those who are so easily despised, so readily forgotten. And we forget because we throw people out all the time. And can I just, in a spirit of transparency, you know, I I speak once a year. I don't really care. I'm just going to say what's on my heart. As a pastor, I just feel so powerless sometimes by how little value people seem to be here and around the world. And I get so frustrated with just how callous my own heart is. And I look at the world around me, and it could just be so vast and cruel. And there's moments where we just see a good God at work. But at the same time, we're so inundated with negative news cycles of atrocities and, and terrible things beyond our imagination happening all the time, almost like, a, almost like a, a little hum of despair all the time. Uh, uh, NCC was telling me there in, in Turkey, and they walked into a makeshift hospital, and it was a chorus of weeping, and the snipers were told by their commanding officers to not kill these children, but to paralyze them in order for the families to feel the deepest amount of pain. And if we're honest today, I'm guessing there's probably a layer of suspicion How can a good God allow this stuff? How? 
You know that suffering causes more atheists than logic does? And I, I imagine that if, if, we're, if some of us are honest, and I'm just going to say it because maybe you're too embarrassed to say it, but you wonder if you can trust God. And if you're wounded, oftentimes it's even harder to trust. And so I found myself a month ago, and I had found out something that happened to an NCCer, and it was so despicable. And I'm in my car, and I'm banging. <sighs> I'm looking up, and I'm going, is this, is this the way it is? Where are your people? Who am I? Do you even see seven billion people? And our Heavenly Father is so patient with us. Leads me to Psalm 116. He said, my son, he always says that. He's my son. I don't see seven billion people. I see each one of them, and I call them by name. And there's not a single person that is forgotten in my eyes. No, nothing hidden that will not be revealed, nor darkness that will not come to light. The final word has not been spoken. How vast, how faithful he is, the mind of God, that he doesn't miss a single person. In Eastern Europe, even as we speak right now, there's thousands of, of refugees. The last four years, just experienced such just horrendous and, and an NCCer was there as, as an aid worker and, and met a Christian family, and, and it was a husband with his children. Husband had lost his wife. Kids had lost his, their mother, and, and she's sitting there and, and looking at him in his, his eyes and just says, how do you do this? Like, how, how do you do it? And he says something so profound. He's, he looks at her, he says, are you saved? She says, yeah, I think so. And he goes, well, well, my spirit is saved. And that's the most important thing about me. My spirit is saved, my mind is being saved, and my body shall be saved. You know what that means? That redemption of my body, according to the book of Romans, is my blessed hope. Death is given way to life. Death, where is your sting? That's my blessed hope. And he really starts to take off. He says, you can, I'm not worried about who can kill my body. My spirit is saved. To be absent in my body is to be present with the Lord. Shoot me right now and I'll be in my Savior's arms. I have everlasting life in my spirit. I shall never die in my spirit. I have been changed completely, washed in the blood, set free from the law of sin and death. It is no, neither I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. I have been washed in the blood. And he looks at her and he says, my soul is at rest. And she says, after he said that, I think I got saved again. <laughs> and I think what I've discovered over the years is the cross is the answer to my complaints. You know, explanations can kind of only go so far, and, and uh, just the way in which we sort of logic doesn't, doesn't take you that far. But this is different. This is a God who suffers with us, who sent his son on a rescue mission, came that we might have life and have it to the full, did you know that we are an Easter people 
living in a Good Friday world. And here, here's the thing. Listen, it's not injustice that drives us. It's the magnitude of hope. And here's a God who says, I am not distant or dead. I see. In Isaiah 6, I see what is going on. And whom shall I send? And Isaiah stands up and he says, here am I. And he activates his purpose. And God is looking for people just to say those words, here am I, send me. You know what happens when we draw into God's presence? Two things. Number one is we develop a holy curiosity. And number two, we develop a holy agitation. We begin to see the way that God sees, and we start to see things around us, and it starts to aggravate us, and we step in and we say, here am I, send me. You know what happens, and I guarantee you, if you've been sent, you can agree with this. Number one, I guarantee you, you're going to be uncomfortable. And secondly, you're going to feel like you don't have the abilities. Welcome to the club. We got t-shirts. No, we don't have t-shirts. That's lame. It keeps us dependent. It keeps us on our knees. And so how do we counter that narrative? How do we play offense? How do we see that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing? What does the church look like? And, and that's what this is. And so we want to talk about how we can step into that. And so I think each one of us got what I would call a sending guide. Can we all just kind of take this out? And I want to walk us through uh, what this looks like. So go ahead, every, at all our locations, you can go ahead and, and pull this out. And, and really what it is is we want to engage, equip, and, and empower you to be on mission every day. That's our vision is we want to see people on mission every single day. It's based on A18, is, is Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and really kind of defines our mission. It's people empowered by the Spirit, doing what Jesus did together wherever they are. Well, you notice it says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't say or, it says and. So what if our vision was, what if local defines and empowers our global efforts? What if our global efforts inform and empower our local effort? What if, what if it's both and? And so that's what we want to talk about, is what we're doing here in our own cities, wherever you are, we want to talk about what we're doing around the world. So let's just go ahead. And uh, this is always so tough on us every year because there's so many stories that we miss and, uh, but we're, we're just going to kind of hit a little bit of it. On the local side, we've seen the power of United Community, and locally we're continuing to work on engaging partners on our priority causes both here in D.C. and, and Virginia. Um, let me just give you a couple of examples, and you see those causes in your booklets. Um, but a couple of years ago, we said we want to see uh, chronic homelessness and veteran homelessness end in our city, not, not, not on our watch. And two years ago, there were 2,000 veteran homeless friends on the streets. Back in January of this year, there were 1,000. As of right now, there are 200. And can I announce with you, in January of 2016, there will be zero. Come on. That's kingdom advancing. That's kingdom advancing. And we're believing to end chronic homelessness by 2017. And we know ending homelessness is possible through collaboration with other churches, 
civic leaders, nonprofits, through this experience and expertise, we want to change, uh, engage in city-level partnerships in other areas, such as anti-trafficking and HIV, AIDS, child advocacy, and food and faith. In Virginia, through a uniting nonprofit of Restore Alexandria, started by NCC or Matt Gillette and the PY team, we're partnering across spheres of influence to engage in city-level goals. Now, we also realize that your needs in your community are different. They're different in Gainesville than they are in Capitol Hill. We realize that. So a year ago, we established an A1A campus director. And those campus directors have formed teams at each of your locations. And we've, done, we've begun the process of needs assessments and meeting and praying with civic leaders and principals and business owners and really just asking this question, how can we, how can we be a blessing? How can we serve you? What does this look like? And so in addition to just our causes, we also have our second Saturday service, uh, which is, is our free market system. It's just a way in, the, in which we serve our community with no strings attached, wherever you are. And, and so we have over 150 organizations that we partner with every month, and you can go ahead and engage in that. We also have outreaches, so many different things at your campuses that you can be involved in. And finally, work in faith. You know, sometimes the big C church tends to disciple out of people's jobs and into the church? What if we reverse that? Instead of, instead of this, how does faith inform your work? How does faith infuse mission in your work? What does it mean to wake up every morning sent to the Navy Yard where you work, or K Street, or King Street, or off 66? We have a small group exploring this question. We're dreaming up an entrepreneurship forum it's creating ways for the church to invest in empower entrepreneurs to establish businesses as missions, businesses that show gospel thinking like Ebenezer's Coffee House, where as of the end of this year, we will have given $1 million to missions. Let's talk Global A18. Our hope and goal is to create and promote meaningful opportunities for shared presence, listening, and learning for others rather than just going to help. You hear what I'm saying? Just going to help can inflate the illusion of us going to help them rather than a mutual relationship where we grow and learn from one another and promote holistic, Jesus-centered, spirit-filled, mission-focused relationships. And so part of our strategy is free market, empowering you to engage in missions around the world. We do this through our short-term missions. Last year, we sent over 300 NCCers on short-term missions all around the world. And next year, we're going to be sending about 34 short-term mission teams. Now, I get this question all the time. Why short-term missions? Let me just give you five reasons really quick. Number one, we're commanded to go in scriptures. Jesus sent on short-term missions all the time. Secondly, discipleship. We're modeling the character, the way, the mission of Jesus. Number three, to encourage partners in ministry in the field. Number four, to confirm one's calling and gain new perspective. And five, to be stretched spiritually, culturally, and relationally. If you haven't been on a short-term mission, I encourage you to really consider in 2016 to be sent. And finally, uh, we have our A18 Missionaries Initiative in partnership with C10, commissioned to every nation. A18 is mobilizing NCCers to send for one to two years places like Berlin and Prachtwerk uh, through John and Steph Hassler. You see a picture of them looking crazy. And uh, our gallery, let me just share this as, as just a quick win, is we are a month away from break even, which means that we now have established 
a model in Europe where it's no longer sustainable on fundraising long term, but we've established a business that can now fund itself to do ministry. In Europe, that's a significant thing, and the Lord has led us in, into these places, and we're looking for people to go. We need people to go for one to two years, be a part of the Berlin Charette, which is this larger, larger gospel, gospel initiative. And finally, uh, we support about 120 long-term missionaries around the world, ones that are not exporting our culture but kingdom culture in some of the most sensitive countries in the world. I'm going to take this thing home, all right? We've been working for years. We just heard testimony after testimony. We've been working for years to build a D.C. Dream Center over in Southeast. A place where kids can take the societal lid off of their dreams. A place where adults can become who God has called them to be. It's not a, a traditional church location. It's a center for dreams. So this week, we got out some sledgehammer and we played some baseball, except we weren't using baseballs. We were using bricks. And we started the demolition of the D.C. Dream Center this week. And I just want to ask you, can you just be praying with us for every step of the way on this thing? I love it. This weekend, our general contractor is going to be here at National Community Church hanging out with us. We're just praying that God would be involved in every single part, every single step of the way. In the fall of 2016, we're looking to bring this baby home to completion. God is on the move. Isaiah 6, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Nothing in this book has actually happened. This is a book of faith right here. This is a book that we have faith in God to accomplish his work. This is a book that says we have faith in you to step out and to be sent. We believe that God will accomplish his work, but we've got to step into the mission that he has allowed us to become a part of. Now, at the bottom of your bulletin, there's a little uh, perforated edge that you'll see. Uh, so today, if you're ready to respond today, I'd encourage you, you can do it right now. Go ahead and start filling out uh, that perforated edge, and you can, you can rip that off, and you can drop it with one of our ushers today. And we're going to see what God will do. The word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means sent, to accomplish mission. We don't do things all on our own. To accomplish mission. We go forward as a sent individual. We go forward as a sent people, right? We are forgiven people, but then we are a sent people. Jesus said it in the scriptures in John 20, 21. He said, as the Father has sent me now, so I am sending you. In Matthew 28, he doesn't just say go. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. And make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all people. Go make disciples of all ethnicities. Go make disciples of Rwanda and Indonesia. Go make disciples of your coworkers. Go make disciples of your neighbors. Go make disciples of your spouses and your kids. He has called us out. We are a sent people. We are called to go not because we are good, not because of what we have done, not because we have, of what we have accomplished, but because he draws us into him and he pulls us in and he makes us new people we are called to go 
because he has pulled us in, empowered us, and sent us out. We are a sent people. i got to close with this story. It's, it's kind of hilarious, and hopefully it makes a point. My son, Zeke, we get some wrestle time in, right? And we'll start wrestling, and you know how it goes. You, you, know, you might get a few whacks in, and you're laughing, but the problem is this. What transfers from our wrestling to his sister's is never a good thing. Can't whack your sisters. Right? So I'm trying to teach him, buddy. And I say this, like, Schmidgall men take care of women, right? That's who we are. That's what we do. Oh, okay, dad. Whack. Now, no, 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 no. You don't get it. That's just me and you, buddy. And so I'm trying to drive this thing home. We're driving down Bladensburg. We turn right by 7-Eleven, and right there, this lady and this guy are going at it. I mean, they're, they're throwing profanities, and we go past, and I turn the volume up right on the radio. I'm like, oh, maybe he won't notice. And a second later, uh, I just hear this quiet, dad, did you see that? Yeah, buddy, I did see that. Yeah, you know, that's, we were talking about that earlier, right? That's not how we treat women. We treat them with respect. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm like, what am I doing? I got to, this is an opportunity. So I do a U-turn and we drive into the parking lot. I jump out and he's like, scared, dad, what are you doing? So I pull him out and we're, I'm just, we're just checking. We're, we're going to take care of women in our lives, right? So we're making sure she's okay, that nothing, you know, out of line is going on and, and, you know, and things are flying and, all the, and words are happening and, you know, and the whole thing. And so, okay, we're good. We get back in the car and we leave. And he's all, Dad, what's the mana mana? And I'm like, what did you just say, boy? What's the mana mana? What did? Oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstood. That's, that's mother, father, son. <laughs> was talking to his parents. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Ah, okay. Mother, father. No, you didn't hear it, right? So we're going. But I'm praying, right? Like, God, help me to drive this point home. And I'm kind of proud. Like, yeah, I did a good thing. Like, he'll remember that. And then I'm like, man, I didn't even pray about it. I didn't even take a moment to pray about it. I didn't ask what God wanted. I'm like, man, I'm... I should have sent Zeke in to get a Slurpee and sent him over there. That would have driven home the point. Like, what did God want to do in that? And so two days later, we're at 7-Eleven on 8th Street. We, we're addicted to Slurpees. I'm sorry. We're at 7-Eleven. We walk out. We walk past the lady who asked for money. And in that moment, I do. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pray about this. All right, God, what do you want to do? And I'm thinking I'm going to give her a few bucks, but I pray. No, give, give Zeke a couple of bucks. Have him go. And right then he says, Dad, did you see that? I said, yep, buddy, here. Here's a couple of bucks. Why don't you go take care of it? And he goes back and, and has a little conversation, then comes back, and we keep walking. And Zeke, how'd that go? He says this. He says, Dad, we take care of women, right? That's right, buddy. That's what I'm talking about right there. In that moment, listen, he had been forgiven. He had heard the sermon. Do you hear what I'm saying? The information had crossed his path, but truth did not become reality until he put it into action. Do you hear what I'm saying today? That truth did not become reality, did not come out of his mouth until he took that truth and he acted. He put it into action. Listen, all of us here today, we got good intentions, don't we? But good intentions are no excuse for a lack of action. God has called us out. He has drawn us in. And then what does he do? He empowers us. He sends us out. I'm going to ask the same question 
that we started this sermon with, that we started this message with, and it's the question that Isaiah asks and that God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you our lives right now. I pray, Lord, for those of us who need to allow something to die within us so that the glory of God would come. I pray that you would give us courage today, Lord. I pray for those of us who need a vision, who need to be drawn into your presence. I pray, God, that we would seek you with our whole heart today. And I pray for those of us who have been drawn in but have missed the promptings of the Holy Spirit to go out, to be sent out, to live on mission every day, whenever, wherever. I pray that today that you would stamp our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that we would see ourselves as you see us, a sent people. We commission this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.